meeting Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus went to the synagogue as he did was his custom to go and teach. He would go and read a passage of scripture and then teach through it and people would ask questions and so on. Um, and he went there this day and there was a man who happened to be there with a shrill hand. I think that's a shrill hand, is it? Now I don't know why the hand was shrill, the Bible doesn't say. You know, it could have been disease or, or injury. Um, shriveled um, or withered, as another passage calls it, it tends to indicate that it was okay at some point and then it got withered. It's kind of what that indicates. Some scholars believe this man was a mason or a bricklayer and he got his hand eaten that way. And actually it was his livelihood to be able to use his hand. Luke mentioned specifically it was his right hand, maybe because he was a doctor, I don't know, the other, the other um, writers don't mention the right hand, but he does. It could have been, you know, the useful hand to this man, the hand that he needed to provide for his family, you know, to... We, we don't know, really. But we also don't know why the man was there, you know. Could it be that... We know that the Pharisees would have trapped Jesus. Could it be that they found this guy somewhere and brought him along and put him there with his shriveled hand and all to see, let's see what Jesus will do now. You know, nothing indicated that, that was the case. We don't, we don't know. Um, Maybe the man, it could have been that he came to be healed, you know, come for healing with Jesus, although that's not really indicated either. All the other passages about, about healing tend to be a specific thing, people know why they're coming. This guy was just sitting there. He was also sitting there because, I think because of his injury, he wasn't allowed to participate in the discussions at the synagogue either. You know, anyone with a deformity or that, or you're Gentile, you had to sit somewhere else. The guys who were talking were the ones who were standing. The rabbi, they were standing by the rabbi, and they would be discussing things and conversing. He was just sitting somewhere else. So I think this guy just came to be taught. He just came, like many of the other people there, he wanted to be taught. He wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Or maybe other rabbis, but you know, he wanted to be taught. That's why he was there. So, not by the Pharisees, not by... Not by Jesus, I think. I don't think Jesus would use people in that way. Maybe bring a man with a withered hand so he can teach people something. But I think he was just there by chance. Well, I think he's really by chance, but you know what I mean. So, let's read the statement again. It says, Pharisees and the teachers of the law uh, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. It doesn't look like the Pharisees came to learn that day. It doesn't look like they came to be taught. It looks like they came to try and trap Jesus. And they saw an opportunity and they were looking. You know, it's interesting. There's, um, if you look at, at the Greek of this passage where they were watching, it can be translated as they were looking at him out of the corner of their eye. Or they were spying. It's kind of the translation. So you can just imagine someone sitting in looking, but all of us have done this right, you sit on a bus or a train, someone's reading a newspaper, you see interesting article, you don't want to look, they don't look like you're looking, so you kind of just, you know, look, look like this, you know, make sure they make eye contact. This is kind of perhaps what these guys are doing, we're not going to show Jesus the trapping, we're going to look, we're going to wait, we're going to, we're going to see what he does. And of course, Jesus knows all about this, he knows their thoughts, he knows their hearts. Um, you know, this is quite a contrast to the man who came to learn, who came to be taught. And we can look at that a little bit later. 
I think something is useful for us to ask ourselves is why do we come to our meetings, to church, even on Sunday or midweeks? You know, I, I don't know about you, I'm going to share some things that I think that I've identified in myself over the years. Maybe I've come, you know, the reason why I've come to church, maybe you can identify with me. You know, sometimes I go because my wife is great. Because, you know, I can't not go because she's going. Sometimes I just feel, uh, for whatever reason, the world or anxious, whatever it is, I don't want to go. She's going, so I'm going to go. I need to set a good example, of course, for my wife and now for my child. You know, I need to go not go to church. You know, I need to go to church, even if I don't feel like it. Or I don't want to be seen while I'm not going. What are people going to think if I don't go? So I'm going to go because of that. You know, maybe I've got some duty. I've got to sing or, you know, do children's ministry or errors, or maybe that's what I'm going. I think, well, I don't think I've, I've come for godly reasons as well. Okay, I've not only come for those. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let me just say that. <laughs> yeah, few. But those are some things I've been quite to myself. You know, that sometimes I don't come to be taught. And sometimes when I'm here, my heart isn't all that teachable either. Sometimes I'm critical about things and stuff. You know, things not being right or, you know, not... I tend to, unfortunately or fortunately, have a very critical mind and eye. So I will notice that the window is... the curtain is blowing. Like, why is the window open? You know, and why isn't it closed? And why isn't the thing working? And then it's possibly me who didn't press the button <laughs> on the screen. But critical heart. You know, I, I notice this in myself. Doing things for man, not for God, you know. Sometimes I do wish I was doing something else. You know, I had a very, very hard week, very long week. I was working all day yesterday. Um, and I hope today I just want to be off a little bit. You know, sometimes we want to be off. Sometimes our lives are busy. Regardless, I think there are many things that all of us from time to time comes into our mind that's, that hinder, perhaps, our teachability. Our willingness to be taught when we come, to be yeah, to be taught. You know what I would like my attitude to be is this man with a shriveled hand who just came and sat there and he just wanted to be, he just wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. I know for us here in Watford, you know, it's, it's been a dream, as I said earlier, for a long time to have a church here. Uh, for some of you, much longer than for me. Uh, I believe it's been. When was the established How many years ago was that? Well, Maybe 20 years ago. And I know that since then you guys with Steve and them spoke about what if there's a church out here, you know? And and here we are. Um, and it's awesome. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong. I mean, we have different motives, I'm sure, for being stuck with being. One of the motives for me is to not have to drive all the way to Harrow. That's right. I'm only, I'm only ten minutes, only ten minutes away. Um, and I want to say that because I think it's so important that we need to check our motives. Yeah. You know, it's great to only drive ten minutes, but it's also great that we're going to preach and proclaim the, the word to Hertfordshire and and beyond. Yeah. Um, you know, some other reasons might be that we've found it difficult in the church in Maybe we had some personal issues with people. Maybe we had, you know,
concerns with it else. And it's very nice to not be a part of that anymore and be somewhere else, to not deal with the issue. I think we need to be careful, um, if that's the case, to, to examine that and to say, you know what, our motive for being here is to proclaim the word um, to Watford and beyond. I really want to tell myself that all the time. You know, that, is, that is why we are here. I truly do believe that is why it worked out for all of us to move to a certain area. You know, we never never considered that would happen. Mm -hmm. Malcolm living just down the road from me and we moving into the area as well. You know, when when I came to Rickersworth the first time was the very Kate's house, I thought it was miles away. Mm -hmm. We lived in Harrow at that stage, we had a little sat nav, we didn't work, all these roundabouts, I had no idea where I was. I'm like, where are we? We're in the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> we were once going to a wedding. It was your wedding. Your wedding. And we got so lost. We got so lost. I didn't know how to get home. I had to ask how to work. Luckily, um, there was another couple living with us. What was their names? No, 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 no. Who came to stay with us? Who came to the wedding in Australia? Anna and Tan. Anna and There we go. They were with us. And I said, please, they, they, they were staying with us. I asked them to drive in front of us so I could get home. That's how far away I thought this place was. Anyway, I am digressing. God planned for us all to be here, and I'm very, very excited about that. Now, but Jesus knew why the man was there, and he also knew why the Pharisees were there. But he wasn't afraid to, to face them. He didn't say, oh gosh, let me, let me help this man out when they're not looking for tomorrow. I can just sort them tomorrow. He saw what they were thinking and feeling, and he faced it. And he spoke about it, and he exposed it. It often looks to us, I think, like Jesus was kind of looking for, looking to, I don't know, confront or aggravate the Pharisees. There's so many scriptures about him confronting them. But what I've realized is, you know what, the reason why he did that is because he loves them so much. And he desperately wanted them to see the reality and the truth of what they were doing. He wasn't trying to, to fight with them for no reason. You know? Jesus loves people. He loved these Pharisees. And that's why, that's why he did this. Yes, of course, he tries to teach them. And he starts by asking them a question, as he has often worked like to teach. And he says, but Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man, no, that's not what I'm going to read, I'm way too far ahead. Where are we? Oh, did But they were thinking, he said to the man, so get out of front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? Good or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy it? So God asked them, Jesus asked them this question. I don't think Jesus really wanted to know the answer. I think he knew the answer, to be fair. I don't think it was about the question or even the answer. Um, Jesus knew what, what these guys were thinking. They were trying to trap him. So why did Jesus ask him this question? Why did he ask them this question? Why did he want them to think about, to focus on? You know, they had all their laws about about the Sabbath and all that. They, you know, the, I think 39 laws of the Sabbath, in addition to the 613 laws, I think, a whole bunch of laws anyway, the laws of the Pharisees that 
saying all of it was just, you know, made up stuff. But it was a little bit, you know, as we know, the 40 lashes minus one, for example, or on the side of what actually constitutes work. That's what the 39 laws to determine what is work and what is not work. The poor guys probably, when they thought about these laws, they didn't consider miracles because there weren't any miracles around like things. So when Jesus miraculously healed this man's hand, they probably didn't quite know what to do. Is this now working on the Sabbath? Is it not working on the Sabbath technically? Pretty much Jesus, I don't think, care about any of this stuff. He knew what they were thinking. He didn't care about it, you know? He asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy it? How many options did Jesus give them there in verse 8? How many options were there too? Mm -hmm. Save a life or destroy it? Good or evil? It wasn't a... In middle ground, I think they maybe thought, well, do nothing or, you know, don't heal him or whatever. But Jesus is challenging their thinking. It didn't make sense. You know, doing nothing is doing evil. You know, we know James 4.17, Jesus says, if you know one that knows the good they ought to do and he doesn't do it, you know, he's sinful. Doing nothing wasn't an option. The Pharisees didn't quite know where they were going with this, but they were trying to try. So Jesus, what does he do? He heals the man. He looks past the whys and the what's and the you know, should be, shouldn't be. He sees the man and he heals. What did Jesus want these people, the Pharisees, the people watching to see? What to tell them, you know, is not about all this, these laws. In fact, didn't Jesus himself say that, you know, to love is the fulfillment of the whole law? You know, love, love God and love each other. He wanted them to know that they need to love the man. Jesus looked at all of them. He looked around at all of them. Can you imagine this? This is happening. Jesus starts looking at people intently. What were they doing? Were they flinching? Did they look away? Did they think, oh gosh, did they maybe stare back in defiance? <laughs> I don't know, but Jesus looks at them, and I, I love like that he does that. You know, he doesn't. He looks at them. Jesus wants us, you know, to see, I think, the person. That is what he, that is what I want them to see. He says, yes, we've got all these laws, but there's a man sitting here with a shriveled hand. You don't care about that. You're just using this pawn to kind of discuss your laws and your what is right and what's wrong. In fact, to trap, to, to trap Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you know, there's a person that is hurting. Surely love should trump your laws. That's what he's trying to tell. What would Jesus ask, I wonder, if you came to us, to our congregation? Which questions would you ask us? I think if there's a, a girl visiting us, she's maybe 17, she's unmarried, she's pregnant, she's considering an abortion. Would Jesus not get up and say, is it right, is abortion right or wrong? Will you ask that question? Why, Why will you ask it? We'll get to that. If there's maybe an illegal immigrant who came and visited us today, Will Jesus get up and ask, perhaps, should immigrants um, observe the law of the land? 
Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's his question to us. What can we get involved in if we start thinking about that? You know, there's maybe a homosexual couple visiting. And Jesus gets up and he asks, should it be right for uh, should, should same-sex marriage be allowed? You can see how Jesus can ask these questions, and we can ask these questions. That, that sounds confrontational. You know, there's a, a drug addict who visits. And Jesus gets up and he asks, should drugs be legalized? Now Jesus asked a question, the temptation for us could be to go, let's talk about abortion, right, and we go on the whole thing about that. Let's talk about obeying the law of the land. Let's talk about homosexuality. Let's talk about what the Bible says about that. Let's talk about, and in the meantime, there's a person sitting there, a girl who's 17, who's anxious, who's worried, who's concerned. And we could get caught up in discussing the, the practicalities, the technicalities, when there's a person that's, that needs love and attention. Who do you see in the day-to-day -day life at your workplace? You know, a colleague who's maybe of a different faith, a Muslim or a Hindu, um, and he speaks to you about an issue or a problem. Do you think to yourself, oh, I don't think he becomes a Christian, everything's going to be okay, that's a problem. Against our thinking, logically, practically, when there's a person sitting there who's hurting, with a shovel hand, are we thinking about him or her? You know, Jesus deeply loves us all. That is what he wants us to see. He wants us to see that we need to love the person. And here's a man with a shovel hand. He comes and he's, he's not quite perfect himself, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure we've got lots of shrivelties and witheredness in our lives. You know, what, what are those? laziness or you know, sexual sin, pornography or lying or deceit or materialism or greed or whatever it might be. Jesus sees that and he wants to heal us just like he wanted to heal this man. I just think among us we need to be careful to not debate issues about stuff but rather think about the heart and the love. That goes for ourselves I guess and for we can be critical, I think about my critical heart, you know, sometimes even amongst us in a congregation we can see maybe, let's see someone's child who's running around crazy, you know, being wild, breaking things, carrying our own away, you know, doing all sorts of stuff like that. I don't know if child might be at all. And we can think to ourselves, oh, you know what, I told them to be firm with that child. I told them that, you know, they should have got to the parenting class on discipline. I don't know why they're following this. And I guess the child's going to be a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a terrorist. You know, it's going to be like, oh, just crazy. You're not going to be able to, to control them later on. And maybe there's, there's a child or parents who are struggling with it. Or a family struggling with their, with their marriage. And you think, oh, yeah, I told them, you know, you just need to be humble. I don't know why it's so humble. And again, you know what I mean? We can, we can do this. I mean, I know I do this. And then we start thinking about the stuff, the issues, as opposed to going, oh my word, there's someone who's hurting. There's a person there who's hurting. A couple who's hurting. A family who's hurting. And I looked around them all intensely. You know, I don't think if Jesus were to look intently at me, if I would flinch, or look away, or feel ashamed. I think it's possible that I may feel ashamed. 
I think if you look at me right now, intently, I will probably feel shame. And you will look at all of us at some point, won't you? You will look at us all intently. How will we, how will we feel? I'm grateful that the sinners were given. So although I may feel guilt and shame, I know that it's forgiven through the blood of Jesus. And I pray that I will, that I will, when Jesus looks at me like that, that I will be more and more, that I will feel more and more confidence in my love for him and his love for me as I, as I carry on. And I think the way to do that is to abide in Jesus. You know, how do we, how do we get there? How do we get rid of this shame that we might feel? Well, you don't have to turn there. First John 2, verse 28 reads, And now, dear children, continue or abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. Continue to abide in Him. I think that's how we, how we will be able to get to a place without shame. You know, eventually, when Jesus looks at us, now we can't feel like into all of that in the scriptures, it's a great Bible study to do, you know, John 13 to 17 speaks all about abiding in Jesus and also this passage just read in 1 John. Read through those, you know, and see what it is like to abide in Jesus. What does it mean? How do we do that? So, what we do know is we're looking at Luke chapter 6. And Jesus says to the man, stretch up your hand. You know, he did so, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus healed the man. As I said earlier, there was so much debate about whether Jesus was fulfilling the law or not, or breaking the law or not. I read a whole lot of commentaries on this about what people say. All of it is about, did Jesus actually break the law? They say, what did he not? Um, actually, I think he did it. You know, he spoke a few words. Even the, the 39 laws of the Sabbath didn't include you're not allowed to speak any words. Like, Jesus didn't have to you know, grinds and herbs or something, that maybe it can be considered work. Never mind, none of this matters, you know. Jesus wants us to not worry about all that stuff. He wants us to act out compassion. And that's something that we can all do. And then he wanted, he wanted these Pharisees to see that love is more important than their set of laws. He wanted them to know that. He wanted us to know that. He loved them, that's why he wanted them to know that. He didn't try and trap them or trick them. He really wanted them to see this. You know, just like that, Jesus wants us to act out of love and compassion. If your, boy, if, your, if your colleague tells you about her boyfriend who's, you know, being difficult and she's in great distress, don't think about it. It's because of living sin. That's why. Yes, that's true. All of the stuff is true. We know that. Just like when Jesus asked that question, he knew they knew the answer. We know the answer. We know about abortion. We know we can debate that stuff. You know, we know what's right and what's wrong. Let's not get caught up in that. Let's, let's get caught up in love. In loving people. Loving our neighbors. Caring for them. You know, as many laws as the Pharisees may love, Jesus gave us one. He gave us one new command. Um, he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. John 13, verse 38. Of all the 613 laws plus 39 sabbatical laws, and there are probably more than I don't know about. I'm not an expert in, in Jewish history of law. There were a lot of things. Jesus gave us one. 
He said, love one another as I have loved you. You know, this story here, unfortunately, has a very tragic, tragic end. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They were furious. They were, again, looking at some other translations, it speaks about rage. It speaks about almost uncontrollable rage. Um, one piece I read said it, it's, it points to an irrational anger, almost a pathological rage. You know, looking at the, the words that we used there originally. This is very tragic. You know, Jesus saw the man and they only saw something they could use to trap Jesus with. They didn't care about the man. You know, they, they knew that they knew that if the healing of this man that they saw the miracle happen, right? They knew this was from God. They couldn't deny the miracle. Now Nicodemus, who went to Jesus in the night, one of the Pharisees, who said to him, We know that God must be with you, otherwise how can you do these things? Now they, I mean, can you imagine this? They are so caught up in wanting to trap Jesus, they completely disregard the fact that this man's hand, that was completely disabled and shriveled, is suddenly healed. After Jesus said a few words, stretch out your hands. They don't even see that. They own God that they proclaim to love so much. Not even God can overrule their laws and their rules and their, their ideas on Sabbath or whatever it might be. That's how strong they were in their, in their convictions and their traditions. So how interesting that they look at Jesus who say a few words on the Sabbath and heal a man and they, oh gosh, they debate that, that must be, that's against the law. What are they doing? They are, they are plotting to kill a man on the Sabbath. You know, how is, how is that okay? How is that allowed under the Sabbath laws? You know, you're not allowed to say, especially you had me healed, but it's okay to sit here and plot about killing a man. You know, it just makes absolutely no sense. So, what is the lesson for us in this? You know, I think we get to be careful, as I said before, not to think too much. And you think about the do's and the don'ts, about what's right and what's wrong. You know, whether we should go and march against, you know, the allowances that the Muslims are getting in schools and, you know, all this kind of stuff that we can get so caught up about. We often, we often hear Christians speak about stuff that's happening out there with laws being made with, for example, same-sex marriages and, and, you know, when stuff about religion and the business come up, you know, Christians get up in arms about that. Oh no! You know, we can't have this. This is, this is wrong. And again, Jesus knows what the answer is. Whether it's right or wrong, that's fine. What about the person? What about the people? What about the people that are hurting? That is absolutely the focus that I that I want to, I think, portray from, from this passage. Now, yes, there was the thing that thought about the Sabbath and what that means and what it doesn't mean. I want us to remember Jesus, the man, looking at another man, seeing his pain and healing At the same time, looking at the Pharisees, desperately loving them, wanting them to also see this. That's what Jesus' concern was with all of us. And I think that's a lesson for us, is to 
e.concerned with love, with loving the evil. We have lots of difficulties in our relationships, even with one another, with our families, with work colleagues. You know, things are things are often tricky. Let's not get caught up in Let's think about a quarter in loving people. Look at people with the loving eyes of Christ. Remember that no matter what your neighbor has done to you, whether he's thrown his leaves over the wall and wasn't supposed to, whatever it might be, love him first. Love trumps all.